you've decided to take the risk of going into business. In this episode, I'll talk about why you should run your business with an entity. It's the Keith Law PLLC podcast, and I'm Jason Keith, attorney in Houston, Texas. Keith Law is a Texas-based law firm that helps businesses protect and enhance their competitive advantages by assisting with trademark issues and identifying and protecting trade secrets. The firm's goal is to help businesses prevent and address business problems, and I hope this podcast will do the same. I'm going to use the term filing entity sometimes in this episode. What I'm talking about when I say filing entity is the type of business entity that requires filing paperwork with the Texas Secretary of State. A sole proprietorship or a general partnership, both of those can be considered entities, but neither of them are filing entities. Neither of them provide any insulation from the obligations of the business. Filing entities are designed to provide that sort of insulation from business debts, obligations, liabilities. A filing entity can be a corporation, an LLC, which is a limited liability company, or there are other corporate formations forms as well, such as Keith Law PLLC is a professional limited liability company. All of these liability limiting entities, filing entities, are designed to serve as a liability shield or a force field or a veil between the claims of folks who interact with the business and the individuals who own and run the business. And that's the point of a business entity. Because starting a business is inherently risky, but society wants to encourage starting businesses because it's good for everybody. One of the ways we provide incentives for starting businesses, or at least decreasing the disincentives, the risks of starting a business, is by allowing entrepreneurs to manage their risk by forming filing entities. Generally, it just limits the downside risk to the assets of the entity itself as opposed to the assets of the owners. After the filing entity is formed with the Texas Secretary of State, it's treated as a person even though it doesn't eat or breathe. It's a fictitious person. It conducts business. It's treated as separate from its owners and the folks running it. And like I said, basically this insulates the assets of the owners and managers from having to satisfy the debts of the entity and should prevent the individuals from being included in any lawsuits related to the operation of the business, but... Plaintiffs can sue anybody, so it's not impossible to be individually included in a lawsuit, but if everything's done properly, it greatly reduces the chances and increases the chances of being removed from the lawsuit individually if you are included. I've been asked why entities are important when businesses can just buy insurance. And insurance is also a very important part of a business's risk management strategy, but it isn't foolproof. I handled a case where an insured business provided services in somebody's house, and then the customer complained that the worker allegedly damaged the wooden floor in the house. My client wasn't happy, but she said, you know, I have insurance, my business has insurance, I'll just present the claim to the insurer, and it'll be taken care of. Isn't that why I've been paying premiums all this time? It turned out no, because in that case... The insurer responded, denying coverage, pointing to a your work exception or exclusion to coverage. Essentially, we were being told then, after probably years of paying premiums every month, that you're not insuring against any problems caused by your work. This is called the your work exclusion or your work exception. 
as a business owner, you think that when you're paying for insurance, that's what you're paying for. But even if the insurer doesn't step up and take care of the claim, if you're operating through a filing entity, the worst case scenario, if everything operates as it should, is that the assets of the company will be in the crosshairs of a lawsuit and not the assets of the individuals involved with the company. This is a good time to talk about veil piercing or alter ego or piercing the corporate veil. For probably as long as business entities have been permitted, some people abuse the corporate form. As a result, a legal remedy was developed called veil piercing and alter ego, where the law will pierce through that corporate veil, that corporate force field, to get to the assets of the owners. But like so many areas of law, the pendulum will swing hard in one direction until it goes too far and you start getting negative unintended consequences of the policy. And then Congress or the courts will swing the pendulum back in the other direction until sometimes it goes too far there too. In this case, it's not too long ago, the pendulum was swung from providing too little protection for an owner of a corporate entity, uh, a filing entity, because the owners were almost always included, especially for small businesses, the owners were almost always included as an additional defendant in the lawsuit. Alter ego was pled as a matter of course by many lawyers. And so Congress stepped in with the Texas Business Organization Code 21.223A. The link can be found in the related blog post, which is linked in the show notes. And under this statute, the availability of veil piercing and alter ego was greatly reduced, at least in situations that arose out of a contractual obligation or a contractual relationship. Now to pierce the corporate veil in situations related to a contractual obligation, the plaintiff, which is the person who's bringing the lawsuit, has to show that the corporate form was, and this is a quote, used for the purpose of perpetrating and did perpetrate an actual fraud on the obligee primarily for the direct personal benefit of the individual. And so this is a high hurdle for an alter ego or veil-piercing claim, and it applies in context of contractual obligations. If you end up as a defendant in a lawsuit against your business and you were individually included under an alter ego or veil-piercing theory, you should talk to your lawyer about this statute because it may be broader and may apply in broader situations than it sounds like. What if you sign your business's contracts wrong? Go back to episode 7 of the Keith Law PLLC podcast where I go over in quite a bit of detail the proper way to sign a business contract on behalf of your filing entity. Like I said there, owners of small businesses oftentimes just identify themselves as the business, so when they're presented with a contract, they oftentimes just sign their names. As I discussed in that episode, it's not you signing the contract, it's your business entity signing the contract, and you're just signing on behalf of the entity. Look back at that blog post, listen back to that episode, to get insight into how to do that. And what about personal guarantees? Same episode of the podcast I just referenced. I talked about personal guarantees there and in the related blog post. 
Sometimes personal guarantees make sense, but without having a filing entity to do business, you're essentially providing a personal guarantee for every transaction and every contract you enter into as part of your business. It's why it's so important to have a filing entity in place. I mean, deciding to go into business demonstrated that you are a risk taker, but to be wise in business means calculating and managing risks. One of the first ways to manage your business risk is by using a filing entity to conduct your business. If you have questions, comments, or want to read the related blog post, check the show notes. Disclaimer, this audio is for informational purposes only and should not be misinterpreted as legal or other professional advice. If you have a legal question, you should consult with an attorney in your jurisdiction. This is Jason Keith thanking you for listening to the Keith Law PLLC podcast.